Namaste and welcome to the first edition of the Bharat Varta Weekly for this wonderful new year, 2021. Um, hope you all are doing well. Hope you're recovering from whatever new year celebrations you've had a couple of days back. I have with me our regular guests, Ashish Chandorkar and Srivatsa Subarna here to talk us through the news and events of the week that was. Hi, Ashish. Hi, Vatsa. How are you guys? Hi, Kari. Hi, Kari. How was the new year celebrations and so on? I was working on first doing an episode of Nathan. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Oh yeah. So speaking of, uh, let's talk about the couple of episodes that we did uh, last week. I mean, both of these were incredibly special, I'd say. Uh, so the year and special to me was just a mammoth, uh, mammoth experience. I mean, it was so much fun. There's a three hour uh, podcast with about 18 speakers talking about a variety of uh, topics. Uh, what's up? What do you think about it? Great. I think it was superb. Uh, I mean, considering, first of all, the logistical challenge to actually run something like this yeah. with 17, 18 people, making sure they're, you know, on at their dedicated slot, maintaining time and so on. So from that extent, I think we did a great job there. But the sheer breadth of uh, topics we covered, uh, you know, whether it was books in 2020 to sport to the other end where we spoke about, uh, Ashi spoke about PLI, startups, uh, you know, agricultural reform and so on. Uh, I, I don't think there would, there would have been another show like this, uh, you know, at, at the year end, which covered so much in yeah. such a short time. I think a lot of, a lot of people who I know who listened to, they said that, uh, you know, we, we didn't know how three hours passed. It was so packed with content that three hours passed so quickly and it was uh, very enriching and value adding for them personally as well. So yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And then of course we had the uh, fantastic episode with uh, Mr. Nitin Gokhale on the first, uh, Ashish, you hosted this. How was the experience hosting Nitin? Yeah, it was a great uh, experience. In fact, Vatsa recorded this, so both of us actually were working. I should have, I should have corrected myself for, <laughs> on that card. Or you could, or you could just say that I wasn't working. That's it. So, so uh, I mean, I have known Nitin for uh, almost a decade now, mainly through Twitter, and we have met several times in Pune, where his family lives. Um, he uh, has some very unique perspectives on um, the whole security establishment and. He has given us three decade, more than three decade experience of actually covering this uh, sector. He actually has immense con con uh, contacts as well. So his information is not just newsy from a media sense, but his analysis and his perception, uh, his, his uh, perspective is really uh, uh, some, some, something very different uh, from, from the regular reporting that you see in the media. Uh, he, of course, spooked people by saying that a war if there could be a war, this is as close as we are to one. And uh, I've actually got several questions since then asked uh, for follow-up questions for Nathan saying, what is the probability? People now want him to quantify whether it is 75% or 30%. <laughs> uh, I need to get back to him with, with those questions. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the sheer depth of knowledge that he has uh, is so visible, right? When he talks and he's such an engaging speaker as well. 
uh, I think it was a fantastic start to the year uh, to have someone with such real skin in the game uh, on the podcast. Um, so that was right, the guys, uh, bit of contrast, right, between the two episodes. One was broad and yeah. what happened in the year, and one was just one topic, and it was so deep. So yeah, and it could great, have gone on for much longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on to the first piece of news for the week. Uh, government of India has uh, created the Central Transmission Utility. This new utility will take over the transmission system planning business from the Power Grid Corporation of India. Uh, the CTO will be set up as a 100% subsidiary of the Power Grid Corp uh, with separate accounting and board structure. Uh, this should help speed up the electricity transmission planning as private power transmission companies have accused the PGCIL of mismanaging the process. Ashish, another one of the infrastructure-focused projects uh, uh, that are happening. What do you think about this? Yes, this is a very interesting uh, reform, actually. So just to recap the way power sector works, and those of you who have heard the episode on power sector by Rajat Sekteria and Mudit Jain, would probably, you will be familiar with some of this, but there are typically three parts to it, which is essentially generation, transmission, and distribution. Uh, transmission is actually the least talked about part um, of power sector infrastructure. Um, this is an area where historically there have been a monopoly of the government agencies. But for the last several years, uh, we have allowed private participation. In fact, India is one of the few countries which allows private players to participate in transmission. However, uh, Power Grid Corporation, which was like a monopoly earlier for from the government, from the central government side, uh, had a dual role in the process of uh, the, the power transmission uh, uh, ecosystem. So one was that it would actually do the planning of what transmission capacity is needed, what lines are needed, uh, what should be the schedule and all of that, which is essentially what you mentioned, Carrie, as the CTU part. There was also the implementation part of it, which is essentially where it was actually doing the, uh, the, the actual ground implementation of some of these projects. And the Empowered Committee, or EC as they call it in the government parlance, which decides on the tenders and contracts also had PGCIL represented this. So in a way you can say that PGCIL used to be like the judge, jury and executioner in the transmission process. In fact, a good parallel would be the old BSNL structure before BSNL got corporatized, which also I think we spoke about in one of our past episodes. So uh, earlier department of telecom used to be a player in the market. It would also do the regulatory part and it would also decide how its competitors should be evaluated against different complaints and so on. So a similar type of a situation was uh, uh, here in transmission sector also. Now with the separation of the CTU with the the rest of the functions of PGCIL, there are two or three advantages. One is that uh, the, uh, the 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 main agency can now focus on other businesses also apart from transmission. So for example, if the central government is bidding out uh, the discoms for uh, union territories, potentially PGCIL can bid for it uh, to run it as a commercially diversified business uh, entering into distribution and, uh, and not, not just staying limited to transmission. That is one part of it. Secondly, the private players uh, will now have a level playing field via the government agencies. Historically, what would happen is that PGCIL would uh, delay or the, the empowered committee, uh, which looked at tenders, etc., would delay uh, some of these uh, decisions of implementing uh, uh, transmission lines. And then state uh, government agencies would simply go to PGCR and say that we would do this on, on cost plus basis. Let's not look at the proper tariff structure as uh, which would which would mandate a private sector participation. Uh, so they would actually outbid their private uh, competitors on, on cost part. And of course, 
state governments can uh, afford to absorb some losses, uh, especially for power lines going through their states because they get a commission for it, uh, et cetera. So uh, I think this structure will get uh, changed. The private players will have much more uh, say in the process and they'll have a much more fair and transparent process. And of course, PGCL will not decide on contracts directly. So I think that is the main part here. So this uh, reform, quote unquote, has been a demand of the industry for better part of 10 years when the current uh, interstate transmission uh, uh, charges structure came into place at the start of the last decade. So uh, been a long pending change, long pending reform. And it's good to see that the government has got to this point, which would help our sector overall uh, attracting new investments and new private players. Right. Fantastic. Ashish, not to sideline uh, you, there are a, a couple of Poha comments in the YouTube section. I mean, you might want to look at it sometime. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, keeping in the theme with, you know, infrastructure development, we have uh, uh, additional greenfield nodes uh, have been approved for the Chennai-Bangalore uh, industrial corridor. Uh, two new industrial areas, uh, namely Krishnapatnam in Andhra Pradesh and Tumkuru in uh, Karnataka have been approved. Uh, the proposed greenfield industrial areas are planned to be self-sustaining and boast of world-class infrastructure. Uh, the Karnataka government has identified 9,629 acres in Vasanta for the development of the node. What's up? We're seeing a lot more investments come into South India as well to spur uh, manufacturing. How do you see this uh, fit in the whole equation? What's up? You're on mute. First time for the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someone will accuse us of bias again, but uh, I think, see, uh, I mean, there were three proposals that the cabinet committee approved. The two you mentioned around the Chennai-Bengaluru uh, corridor and the third one was on the Paradi port, uh, which is again significant. So uh, the, the whole uh, idea of, you know, setting up this industrial uh, corridor was to uh, have have like a dedicated infrastructure corridor where you build roads, where you build, you know, railway lines so that freight can move quickly from Bangalore to the uh, and you know surrounding areas and even Krishna Patnam, which is in Andhra Pradesh, so it affects three states, which is Karnataka, Andhra, and uh, Tamil Nadu. From there, the goods can quickly move to the Chennai and Ennore ports, and from there. You know, uh, as I think Ashish spoke about in a previous episode uh, of the weekly, where we are talking about using our own waterways, you know, across the sea to transport goods within India and also for uh, exports. So to that extent, uh, it's a it's a fairly significant project. This project has been in the works for a while. Uh, it, it was a uh, you know, the master plan was created, I think, two or three years ago. Uh, the thing with uh, industrial corridors is, uh, you know, they recognize, they first thing they do is they kind of spread development instead of, you know, having very concentrated areas where manufacturing happens or, you know, some industry kind of grows. This entire stretch from Bengaluru to Chennai, and now there is a there is an additional demand which the government has agreed to, which is to extend it to Kochi. So from Coimbatore, it will get extended to Kochi. So overall, uh, it covers I think two or three percent of uh, 
India's population. Uh, if if I yeah, around three percent of India's population. So it affects about five crore people. Uh, so that that's the uh, scale of the project. Now this project has uh, three main hubs. The two you mentioned, which is Tumkur, uh, Krishna Patnam, and there is Poneri in uh, in uh, Tamil Nadu. Uh, what uh, and it's expected to uh, create around I think two lakh jobs uh, across Tumkur uh, and uh, and Krishna Patnam. what it will also do is it will uh, speed up urbanization uh, you know in both these areas and there are a bunch of industries that they have identified where employment will get generated so around auto components uh, electronics textile and apparel some of this which we spoke about in the year end where we spoke about you know some of the investments that are coming into karnataka uh, in addition there could be uh, you know aerospace is another industry where if we get into some sort of manufacturing that's another area that that could pick up uh, similarly on the krishna patnam side there are other industries that will benefit like you know food processing metallurgy pharma and so on uh, so overall the the investment that is mentioned is around uh, 6000 crores uh put together roughly i think and it will generate uh, you know close to 2 lakh jobs uh it's about 4000 crores sorry not 6000 crores uh and so this combined with you know the development of the other ports what that means is you know the sagarmala project which we keep hearing about which is you know having ports developed across india it will actually open up another way to transport goods across india so the benefits are you know not just for those specific industries there is other infrastructure which will get get built right if people stay in all these areas then schools hospitals all those will also get built so it's good for you know the, these corridors are good for the overall you know development of fairly large sort of sections of land in india yeah uh that was pretty comprehensive what's up all right uh, let's move on to the next uh, item of uh, news uh, the director general of police uh, for jammu and kashmir announced that uh, tw- 225 terrorists have been eliminated in uh, 2020 uh, he reported that terrorist inter- incidents infiltration and civilian killings uh, uh, have come down in the uh, in the union territory uh the police reportedly carried out 90 successful operations in kashmir and 13 uh in jammu i think uh 16 police personnel and 44 jawans of other security forces were killed over the course of the year ashish uh, this is a pretty important number right i mean this is a number that they track uh, i think on an annual basis yeah um while the sounds are a little sordid uh, given that we are looking at uh, human life and especially the life of our security forces and the jnk police in in statistics and in numbers but uh I think it's an important area to track to understand how the internal security situation is evolving in this uh, union territory, and especially this year was quite crucial given that this was the first full year of uh, the the region being a union territory. Rather, two union territories now with Ladakh being a separate one, and of course the removal of Article Three Seventy. So one of the counters or one of the criticisms from the local political parties was that. the removal of article 370 will lead to a spate of new violence 
it will lead to uh, you know more terrorist attacks uh, more infiltration but actually um, while the infiltration has gone up and i think the ceasefire violations have also gone up uh, one of the statistics i read on twitter was that we have had more than 5000 cases of ceasefire violations in 2020 from from the pakistan side but nonetheless the armed forces uh, have actually also been able to counter the uh, infiltration and potential uh, i mean curbing the potential terrorist incidents so uh, like more than 100 uh, successful counter terrorism terrorism operations have taken place and 225 terrorists were killed uh, they were uh, the um, the the thing is that even in jammu where uh, relatively i mean this is not uh, the bulk of the terrorist operations used to uh, counter terrorism operations used to happen in kashmir but this year more than 10% happened in uh, jammu as well and of course uh, out of the 225 terrorists killed 18 were actually killed in jammu so um, the terrorists did try to disrupt peace beyond the valley uh, but of course they were not successful uh, also 47 top commanders have been killed out of these 225 and right now none of the terrorist groups which operate usually in that region have any top commanders alive so i think that is another achievement uh, typically uh, these agencies or these these terrorist organizations um, depend a lot on the leadership from a few individuals so if you neutralize them that of course doesn't uh, stop terrorism but it, it delays some of the uh, expansion plans which these uh, uh, organizations typically have when they recruit the youth from the valley so uh, getting rid of top commanders is very critical and uh, like as we know in the last couple of years the jnk police and the armed forces have actually marked specifically these names and pictures uh, they've been trying to track these individuals uh, very uh, very closely so i think that was a big success as well um, we of course did lose uh, uh, our own to keep the region um, secure i think what was also important was that the overground workers uh were also tracked and neutralized the fear in a big way uh india arrested 635 uh, overground workers or ogws as they are called this year and um, they were all booked under the many of them were booked under the public safety act and then otherwise of course they help in uh, tracking some of the movements of terrorists across the border um we also had a case of 299 terrorists surrendering which also is a good uh, good metric or a good sign that some of the uh, youth which has which had joined the terrorist uh, organizations has have come, uh, they have come back to the mainstream and of course this year the government actually also tried to rehabilitate them through special packages and so on so um, also uh, one last thing is that the stone throwing incidents have also decreased significantly uh, the there was a claim uh, there was a pti news which said that 87% uh, there's been 87% decline in the stone throwing incidents this year so that is again a good success because uh it also shows that uh, the support which the security forces are getting um uh, it hasn't uh, deteriorated uh, in the in the in the wake of the removal of article 8370 and uh, i think some of these changes are quite could be quite far reaching and i would actually encourage you to listen to the episode we did on kashmir um with suranda vashishth and with uh, shimoy uh, muzumdar uh, shimoy talukdar uh, on uh, uh, on removal of article 370 specifically i think that was like a two or three months ago yeah. but that that was a fairly comprehensive one in terms of all these details yeah uh, sunanda also spoke uh, on our year end special so she summarized everything fairly well in about 5 to 7 minutes so you could have a look at that as well i think we'll release a snippet of that uh, sometime this week uh all right uh, the geo 
infrastructure is being de- destroyed amidst uh, farmers protests uh, social media posts claiming that the reliance retail that reliance retail is already buying agri produce at low prices in punjab are to blame for this anti geo sentiment uh, however earlier this year canada based uh, firm brookfield infrastructure partners had bought over the tower arm of geo in india uh, geo has also requested the chief minister of punjab to take action against the against the miscreants uh shivatsa it's a case of uh, misdirected anger yeah uh, absolutely and also a delicious irony i'll come to that bit later uh so you know brookfield uh, picked up uh, so reliance uh, as we've covered in one of our earlier podcast reliance has gone through a massive uh, deleveraging exercise where they've started you know monetizing a bunch of assets Uh, their goal was to go debt free by march this year so as part of this uh, they sold the uh, tower business to brookfield uh, this decision was taken uh, last year but it took close to uh, almost a year to get all approvals uh, as it does usually in india with the you know competition commission the government and so on uh this was a slightly tricky situation because you know even brookfield was uh looking to uh sort of take a high level of debt to buy this business and it uh, that's why it required some additional uh, approvals <clears throat> now after all of this happened it finally got approved in september and uh, during the protests uh you know there was this misinformation spread that Uh, as usual that you know the beneficiaries of any government of india policy are adani and ambani so the same story was repeated again uh, and people bought it without verifying and they went about uh, destroying infrastructure you know such as the towers you mentioned the the problem with this is that uh, you know when companies come in and uh, invest huge amounts of money so this business was valued at 8 billion dollars huge amounts of money with a long term payoff so they the, they will get money from you know the telecom companies who will use these towers and so on and so forth to provide their services so it's a decade or two decade kind of payback we are looking at it sends a very uh, wrong message to anyone who is looking to invest in india uh and you know the punjab government should have uh, been stricter and made sure that uh, you know this kind of violence is not tolerated that's the you know that's one part of it uh, the other part of course is the irony i was talking about which is uh, you know bunch of people from punjab uh, destroyed towers that belong to a company from canada which has then gone on and said that uh, they'll use facial recognition software to identify the miscreants and uh, deny them visas in the future so yeah sort of some dreams are going to you know go down the drain because of moments of rashness where they didn't even bother to check who the infrastructure belonged to and fell in for propaganda oh that's hilarious um all right moving on uh, prime minister narendra modi flagged off the 100th run of the kisan rail Uh, this train was making a journey from songola and maharashtra to shalimar in west bengal uh, the government is driving the uh, initiative by setting no minimum quantity for farmers to transport their product 
Kisan Rail and Krishi Udan have made it possible for farmers to sell their produce in other parts of the country. Ashish, uh, interesting development. Very interesting development. Actually, the first Kisan Rail was launched only uh, in August of this year, seventh of August to be precise. So in about five months, uh, we reached hundred Kisan Rail. And why is why this is cru- crucial is for two reasons. One is that see, railways itself uh, needs to model itself as a freight and a logistics company in many ways. In fact. that has been the primary purpose of railways for several years because it has been a coal hauling uh, service which also carries human beings it, it's it's been like that right in terms of the uh, cost structures and so on but um, i think the logistics business as such has never been given uh, due seriousness and i think this is a great area to to come into because with the new farm laws uh, uh, implemented the importance of uh, letting i mean carrying uh, perishable items from one part of the country to another part Uh, cannot be understated. I think the, the quickest way to do that is, of course, through the railways because India doesn't have sufficient number of reefer vehicles, and of course, you cannot have a uh, let's say a two-three day uh, vehicle run uh, across the country uh, with with the proper cold chain in place. So uh, railways is the best place to do it, where they can actually maintain uh, proper temperatures in their bogies and so on. And I think the fact that uh, uh, the, the, I mean the, they've also chosen the states right now in the in the way which are very rich on production of vegetables and fruits which are all perishable commodities so uh, overall it's a very good development for railways uh, for for farmers themselves i think this is again a great development because uh, this doesn't need much uh, investment at all uh, all they need to do is to go to the nearest uh, railway station and then basically load the produce there and given that government has actually give uh, uh, i mean railways has essentially promised a 50% uh, rebate on the uh, uh, on, on the on the freight cost and i think in most for most trains the minimum quantities have also been waived off uh, typically i mean the the original idea was that we will have i mean the this service will be a multi tenant uh, multi commodity service but with certain uh, economic quantity kind of built in but i think that's kind of been waived off for the more decent runs of the kisan trains so even small farmers can take uh, advantage of this as long as they have a buyer uh, waiting on the other side so uh, both ways it's a it's a win win situation indian railways can create a very important new business which will also generate employment with some very uh, specific knowledge of logistics uh, uh, being built up in the system and of course for farmers uh, this could be a, a boon in itself so as such uh, uh, I, i mean let's just hope that this continues and it is it's not limited to the period of pandemic as uh, uh, only mm-hmm. and uh, the the uh, the origination and the, desti- the the destination pairs also uh, can be customized over time by the ministry of agriculture and ministry of railways working together to make sure that the most farmers uh, benefit from this uh, new service fantastic all right moving on to the last uh, bit of news for the week uh, the union cabinet approved the export of akash surface to air missile to friendly countries uh, the missile has an indigenization rate of over 96% that's interesting uh, to provide faster approvals for export of such platforms uh, a committee comprising raksha mantri external affairs minister and national security advisor has been created um what's that this is an important step in the whole atmanirbhar uh, bharat initiative right because i think i'm sure countries will be interested in other major platforms as well what's that you're on mute that's 242 not good huh? uh true so i mean the the thing here is that you know if you look at all the other countries uh, what they do is uh, they develop weapons they sell them and invest profits in r&d 
with india it's uh, india has kind of taken a very different path for some strange reasons uh, i don't know why but uh, we pro- used to procure most of the weapons from abroad and we had you know drdo and so on who were building uh, you know some some machinery and so on some weapons were built in india but we never sold them uh, so that we could you know easily invest again in more r and d uh, it's it's a it's almost sort of a no brainer and it's kind of strange that it's taken us so long to get to the stage where we are talking about you know exporting some really big ticket uh, weapons i mean we've been exporting you know guns bullets and so on but uh, that that's not that's not really you know a big chunk of where the money is uh in terms of akash uh, akash can be fairly big uh, we know that uh, you know vietnam has shown interest uh, in moving away from china and buying uh, you know akash from india we also had some discussions on brahmos i'm not sure you know what the situation with that is considering its joint uh, development with russia uh the akash it's taken a while you know for us to get here akash was originally conceived uh, sometime in the 90s and it was only in 2006 that uh, we first started uh, seeing trials uh, of uh, akash you know with the indian armed forces uh but uh, there were some initial glitches and the air force has you know bought a lot of uh, akash missiles so the once the original glitches were ironed out it the the system seems to be pretty robust and it has worked pretty well so you could call that you know positive in the sense that it's a tested missile uh, it's been with the yep. army for over a decade uh so that that that's the that's the good thing about it uh so what i've been reading is that you know it's not just countries like vietnam but also some countries in africa and some in west asia that have you know shown an interest uh, in procuring weapons from india and considering that as a country we've set a target of you know 5 billion dollars in exports uh, arms exports to friendly countries uh, this this particular piece of uh, weaponry uh can be significant so if you look at uh, you know an equivalent sort of surface to air missile it would cost upwards of a million dollars uh you know procured from you know one of the major countries but our uh, our uh, weapon would probably sell at around half the price so we are in a good shape uh, in the sense that the moment uh, exports start they'll definitely you can expect that there'll be demand and uh there will be friendly countries who will be willing to uh, buy these uh, weapons from india all right fantastic so uh we're at the end of the uh we're at the end of this edition of the weekly thank you for choosing to skip the news and watch the weekly instead uh we have a ton of interesting uh content coming up uh, in the weeks ahead uh, you know some pretty big people are going to come on the podcast and uh, we hope that you can join us uh, listen to the podcast uh, live and also share your comments and suggestions so uh, so from ashish uh, whatsa and me thank you so much for joining stay safe take care and jai hind